How has a year of conflict in Ukraine affected the country's healthcare system? Access to healthcare was often limited, all of which started to place an increasing burden on the healthcare workforce and the civilian population. Coming up, the impact on Ukraine and its neighbours, the efforts to support healthcare in the country, and the dangers facing those on the ground. Most patrols did involve the reports of gunfire. Artillery was fairly common. Landmines, snipers were a real thing. The medical impact of conflict in Ukraine, a new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. A year of fighting in Ukraine has had a devastating impact on the lives of millions in the country. Not just those directly caught up in the conflict, but civilians who find themselves in the middle of a war zone. In this second podcast, marking a year of fighting in Ukraine, we're going to examine the medical impact of the conflict, how international SOS has responded, and the current situation in the country. We'll also hear from medical experts who were in Ukraine as the fighting continued around them. The start of the conflict sparked a huge movement of people putting significant strain on Ukraine's healthcare system. World Health Organization Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. The disruption to services and supplies throughout Ukraine is posing an extreme risk to people with cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, HIV and TB. Attacks on health must stop. Health systems, facilities and health workers are not and should never be a target. Well, first, we're going to hear from Ryan Copeland, International SOS's Regional Medical Director for Assistance for the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. He told me that that mass exodus at the start of the conflict did have a huge impact on the ability to provide health care. This mass movement of people placed a strain on existing healthcare capacity in cities like Lviv, but also represented a concern for neighboring countries, which now needed to account for an increased population with diverse medical and psychosocial needs. But also within Ukraine at this time, there was an urgent reprioritization of emergency services in support of the initial wave of Ukrainian military and civilian casualties. And this was then further compounded by the restriction of movements across many Ukrainian cities due to curfew. And all of this meant that access to healthcare was often limited. Over the next few months, we also then saw disruption to supply chains, which included limited availability of critical medicines and consumables, as well as limited oxygen supplies, along with frequent attacks of healthcare infrastructure all of which started to place an increasing burden on the healthcare workforce and the civilian population. We'll hear from Ryan again a little later, but I want now to bring in Andrew Mader. He's project manager and paramedic team leader at Icarus, a subsidiary of International SOS, and was in Ukraine providing support for international monitors in one of the cities at the heart of the conflict. My particular role was the paramedic team leader for the Mariupol hub, what we did each day is allotted paramedics to those patrols that were going to be going into areas where they felt that the risk of injury was a bit higher than normal. Patrol could last up to, I'd say, six to eight hours. The paramedics were responsible for the health and well-being of all members 
of that patrol, the paramedics that we had on staff were very skilled and very experienced. You could spend the day doing absolutely nothing, or we could rapidly evacuate an area because we heard artillery or small arms fire. Well, people will, I'm sure, remember the name of Mariupol, uh, the media coverage of the battle for control, both of the city and, and the standoff at the steel plant there. Give us an indication of what it was like to be in the center of that. Well, the steel plant itself was absolutely massive. I would have to say a, a, at least a mile in length. It was just gargantuan. For me personally, it served as a point where as soon as we came up on uh, the steel mill, I knew that I was either entering or leaving the safer areas. When we passed it, I knew that I was heading out into those areas where anything could happen. What sort of issues would you be confronted with? Uh, most patrols did involve the reports of gunfire as close as a half a mile away. Uh, artillery was fairly common. Landmines, both anti-personnel and anti-vehicle, were prevalent out there. And there was a lot of places to where we had to be extremely careful going. There were certain practices that had to be followed when driving. Back in 2017, I believe, a paramedic was actually killed when one of the OSE vehicles deviated from those protocols and went to an off-road area, struck a mine, and the vehicle was destroyed. Snipers were a real thing. One of the things that I was very proud of, of all my paramedics, is that we were all very experienced and had been around. So the constant wonder of what's going to happen, what am I going to do, wasn't quite as stressful. It's something that all of the Icarus paramedics were very used to handling, be it blast injuries, gunshot injuries, we would be able to handle whatever came down the pike. Tell me a little bit about what I imagine was quite a difficult situation in actually getting out of the area once your mission was over. Yes, that was quite a road trip. What we did is we made sure that the paramedics were spread throughout all of the various vehicles in the evacuation convoy. Everyone had a fully stocked aid kit, which I'd actually heard referred to as ICU in a bag. We had a large armored ambulance that we loaded extra supplies and equipment in as a just-in-case matter. Just made a point of keeping an eye on all the various members of the convoy, which included everyone from, I don't think the baby was a newborn, but it was definitely an infant, all the way up to elderly parents of uh, mission members. Next, we're going to hear from Lucas Welniak, a paramedic working for Icarus. He had only just started the job when the tensions around Ukraine exploded into conflict. I joined Icarus on the 6th of February, and uh, I arrived in Severodonetsk. Unfortunately, I caught COVID, so uh, I was in quarantine, and I had to leave it very quickly. But I was also taking part in evacuation of the, of the people and assets from the region. I have helped the border right after the conflict started, so that was in March. I was in Hrubyashuf, southeastern part of Poland. It's one of the smaller border crossings. However, it was just fully packed with people. You could see just hundreds, if not thousands, of refugees coming through. People are remarkably good at getting used to stuff. Even if there's air raids and sirens going on, it's remarkable how well you can cope with it and how well you can get used to it. 
with each and every subsequent mission, you could tell that there's more businesses open. There's less armored personnel at, um, in Kiev. Let's talk a little bit about the situation now. What What is it like now in terms of getting access to care, to medicines, but also to those more routine things like screening and, and prevention programs that presumably have also been affected over the past year? Overall, the general state of healthcare system remains relatively stable, especially in the bigger cities away from the hostile areas. There's been a focused additional support from both the government, but also international organizations in order to bolster these medical facilities to maintain as much functionality and capability as possible. The situation is, however, very different in those areas with ongoing hostilities, including Kharkiv, Dnipro, Kramatorsk, Kyrgyzstan, Sumy, and, and even parts of Odessa. Many medical facilities have either been destroyed or no longer operational, or have limited capability, which is actually focused on damage control surgery and stabilization of wounded Ukrainian soldiers and civilians. And then lastly, from a health screening and disease prevention perspective, the information we have is that most disease prevention programs, which include vaccination programs, HIV programs, health screening, are actually mostly functional and ongoing. The main issue actually appears to be lack of attendance, given the population is far more focused on the day-to-day -day realities within the country. And this really underpins the reality encountered where we typically see increased levels of non-communicable diseases in prolonged conflict areas. If someone was to get in touch with you and to say that they had someone who needed urgent attention or potentially maybe even evacuating from Ukraine, what now would be the logistics of doing something like that? Well, we still maintain capability to be able to coordinate medical care within country. So the initial steps would be to refer the individual to the nearest, most appropriate medical facility based on the actual medical condition at the time for an initial assessment and stabilization. Assessment would then be made on whether onward evacuation would be medically required and logistically feasible. In fact, our most recent evacuation took place at the end of last week, a 10-hour intensive care ground ambulance transfer of a foreign national in a critical medical condition from the center of Ukraine across the border into Poland. Just lastly, I wanted to reflect with all of you on the key lessons that you've learned, that you take away from the events in Ukraine over the past year. The key lesson has been the importance of planning and preparation and close coordination between medical security and operational teams. Our security teams have been monitoring the buildup of Russian troops and equipment on the Ukrainian border for several months. And actually just a few weeks before the invasion started, we actually made a decision to deploy a team into Ukraine in order to undertake a focused assessment of our provider network to ensure that we had up-to-date confirmation of in-country capability. And actually this team was on the ground as the invasion commenced and we pulled them across the border within the first 24 to 48 hours. And we've continued with this approach with frequent and regular engagement with our key partners throughout the year and outside of actual assistance cases that we've supported. So the ability to be able to collate and maintain adequate information and adequate capability 
and has been critically important in order for us to respond to our clients' needs. I would say that the way that Icarus and indirectly International SOS supported us is what made our evacuation from a medical provider standpoint very successful. We did have all of the equipment and supplies and material that we needed. We prepared well ahead of time. We liaised frequently with Kiev and individuals there to keep as up to date as possible. The key takeaway I would have to say is in addition to that preparation is to have well-trained and capable individuals on your team that are able to move from a static to a mobile setting with minimal advance notice. Andrew Mader, project manager and paramedic team leader at Icarus. We also heard from Ryan Copeland, regional medical director for assistance at International SOS, and from Icarus paramedic Lucas Welniak. Well, don't forget, this is one of three podcasts exploring issues around the past year of fighting in Ukraine. If you missed the first on the early days of the conflict and the lessons learned, it's available now, wherever you get your podcasts. And in the third of these special episodes, we'll look forward and talk about what could happen next as the conflict enters its second year. In the meantime, you can access the latest information and alerts on the crisis in Ukraine from our website, internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out more about our network of assistance centres, available to clients 24-7. But until next time, thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.